I'm assuming, in fact, that, that, that all of you know nothing about astrology apart from what you read in the papers. It's an enormous subject, and uh, there's a very great deal really to be said about it. On an evening like this, we can only just touch the, the fringes of it. And yet, when you read the, the popular press, you are given to understand that it is a very simple, easy idea. It's nothing of the sort. It's extremely complex. The climate of life, the climate of understanding in, in our life today, of science in fact, because science is almost the god of today, is not congenial to the understanding of astrology. Um, I'm just going to read you this little paragraph written by a Benedictine <coughs> professor, Dr. L. Kuniberg-Molberg of the Vatican Institute of Christian Archaeology in Rome. He's an authority of, on ancient manuscripts and he wrote in his book Kundi's Letters to Chu, T-S-C-H-U. If we look ahead, he says, it is already possible to say that astrology seems destined to lead all the other branches of knowledge out of the blind alley of unspiritual rationalism and materialism in the sense that for the past century it has been at the barricades to establish a platform for itself in order to effect the reconciliation that science so ardently desires with belief. Such a development is essential if we are to survive the present spiritual crisis which threatens Western culture. And that is written by a Benedictine professor. So I hope you can see that the, the snippets in the paper and this sort of language that I've just read to you are very, very far apart. I just want to, uh, to read this to you and then after that I want to tell you exactly what we deal in in modern astrology today, what we're all about, what the subject is really saying and its uses. I mean this, this is really what you want to know. but. I don't like just wading into that, into what I call the technology of it, without some background to what it's all about. I've already said, far from being the simplistic thing that the popular press conveys, it is indeed very complex. How many people realise that its beginnings are lost in the cultures of widely dispersed races and nations including our own, that the works of Chaucer and Shakespeare often refer to astrology, that words like disaster, which means it is from disastro, which means against the stars, lunatic, well a lunatic is said, said to be worse at full moon, the word lunar as you know means moon and lunatics and I believe that mental asylums will get along with that to a large extent. Lunatic, anyway, jovial, well do you know what the word jovial, you know what it means, but Jove is Jupiter and Jupiter is the planet of expansion, of optimism and that sort of thing. So the word jovial really comes from the word Jupiter. Saturnine, well to be Saturnine is to be melancholic, isn't it? 
and Saturn, the planet Saturn, has that reputation of, uh, of being uh, uh, melancholic, serious. I am very Saturnine. You won't hear any funny stories. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Mercury. Well, to be Mercury is to be very quick, isn't it? There you have the planet Mercury. I mean, to be Mercury, if somebody is really Mercurial, you know, they're full of wit and, and full of re uh, witty retorts and so on. So then we have, uh, well, Martian, I suppose, can we talk about, yes, Martian is warlike, war isn't it? To be warlike. Well, Mars, the planet Mars, the red planet Mars, I'm sure you, if you don't know astrology, I know you know some astronomy, and you'll know that Mars is a red planet. Uh, uh, Mars was always connected with war. It literally means you'll have it later on, energy, aggression, and then warfare. The word venereal, venereal disease, comes from Venus, and Venus is the planet of love and affection. In the ascendant, well, you talk about something being in the ascendant, but the ascendant, you can see the word written there on that chart, is the most important point in the chart. You won't find it in a, in a catalogue of stars or anything, because it's a calculated point, but I'll come to that a bit later on. Anyway, all these words come directly from astrology, and when astrology was a matter of daily usage in Britain. There are zodiacs in a variety of English churches, including Canterbury Cathedral. I don't know whether any of you have seen the signs of the zodiac in an enormous great circle uh, in Canterbury Cathedral on the floor. And the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, always have the four fixed signs of the zodiac as their, what should we call it, um, representatives? I don't know what you call it, Christ, but symbols. Taurus, Scorpio, Leo and Aquarius. I always get a bit nervous from which we've do, do, do you remember? Mark is, Mark is the lion. Uh, John is certainly the eagle, Matthew and Luke, well, one is um, Taurus, and one is the water bearer, Aquarius. Anyway, not right. Josephus, Josephus was a famous historian, the Jewish historian of the first century AD, recorded that Adam was instructed in astrology by heavenly inspiration. The Jewish Encyclopedia states that Abraham, in about 1500 BC, was consulted astrologically. And Sir Christopher Hayden has recorded that Moses was proficient in astrology. There is every reason for acknowledging its divine origins and calling it a divine art and science. As above, so below. This is a sort of famous saying. As above, so below. The microcosm is a reflection of the macrocosm. The solar system acts as a unity. This was all accepted by the ancients. Controversy arose when Christi with, uh, with Christianity because the planets had been gods and goddesses. And I think we can all very easily understand that if 
stars and planets are are used as gods and goddesses this life this makes life rather difficult for the Christian church on the other hand I would say most definitely that um, nobody in his wildest dreams would think that today any astrologer is going to um, to worship the, the planets at the foot of the Acropolis in Athens is the world's first theatre and at the back of the stage is a marble plinth with the headless bodies of the planetary gods decapitated by the early Christians I remember going on there with a whole party and, and somebody said oh but they haven't got any heads and so the guide said them, oh no they were cut off by the, by the, by the early Christians they said there is only one God who cannot have all these then there was the vital question of fate and free will and if I don't bring it up I'm sure somebody will bring it up uh, during the course of the evening it is very important St Thomas Aquinas summed it up by agreeing that astrology was only valid in nature and for all that could not pertain to man's free will now there is a very famous Christian we are all born into a certain race, nation, family and have a certain appearance, disposition, temperament, IQ, health, wealth and a certain consciousness of what life is about for us, for each of us individually as well as collectively all this can be called fate and amenable to astrology but we are not automatons and have limited choice that's to say astrology is not dealing with our souls I, I'd better not go into the controversial que uh, question of reincarnation and things like that but steering clear of that I think all Christians would agree that each person has a soul the eternal part of one and it is to the soul that the that our religion is primarily at any rate addressed and that astrology is not dealing with the soul each soul comes into this world into a certain body and mind vehicle for a certain and very brief period of years in order to gain certain experiences and we each of us have our own experiences to be gained and uh, the soul as we all know can look both ways it can look outwardly into the world it can look inwardly to God again astrology is only dealing with the, our, our, our ephemeral nature shall we say with our body mind vehicle I like to call it in which we live when we die this body is buried or cremated and it is the soul that goes on so all this can be called faith and amenable to astrology but we are not automatons we have limited choice I'm inclined to think I don't know what you think I'm inclined to think that different people have different amounts of choice free will that some have much more than others that a, a really evolved person 
has a lot more free will perhaps than the one who isn't so evolved. Thus while trends in our lives according to the cycles of the planets are permissible, rigid predictions are not. There is an interesting picture in Dante's Inferno of naked astrologers in hell with their heads all turned round forcing them to look backwards. I don't know if any of you have seen this. And they're, they're made to look backwards because in this world they insisted on predicting and looking to the future. And yet it was Dante who said that the principle of individual uniqueness is the influence of planets and stars or more accurately of the intelligences by which they are moved. Now today we've so lost touch with the livingness of nature, with the livingness of the planet. Very, very few people today think of this planet as alive, with, with uh, breathing in and out, uh, and so on. And yet that's how our, how our forebears uh, thought of it, and in my opinion they were right. We, uh, because of science, because of all the uh, things that science has done, things have become dead. Things to us are dead things. And this, I believe, and they believed in those days, is not the truth. Anyway, Dante, the ego, Dante concluded, created directly by God, in its connection with the body and the mind, comes under stellar influence, and at birth is stamped like wax by a seal. This was put another way by the great Christian mystic Jacob Bohem, who wrote, My flesh is generated in this world, and is ruled by the quintessence of the stars and elements which dwells in it, but my soul is regenerated in God and loves God. Thus we have a valid picture of millions of unique souls here on this earth for a few years in unique body-mind vehicles in order to gain unique experiences according to their individual needs. The soul is bucketed about by its vehicle, which is responding to the planetary configurations, but is free to turn to its creator as well as the world, and to make decisions in accordance with or against the planetary influences. That's to say, you do not have to obey fate. But so, by turning inwardly, by knowing that something is wrong, you are able to uh, prevent yourself from doing that which you know to be wrong in spite of trends and tendencies of planets and signs which may be leading you in other directions. With the coming of the so-called Age of Reason and the Industrial Revolution all that could not be proved scientifically became at least suspect and at most invalid. More and more we have become materialists suffering from the ego inflation of our own cleverness. We visit the moon physically at the same time refusing to believe what the moon has meant astrologically and psychologically to our ancestors. In doing so 
Perhaps we have become the lunatics and have lost more than we have gained. Only now, with the distinct possibility of scientific genocide staring us in the face and the realization that the kingdom of heaven is essentially a spiritual rather than a material concept, is the pendulum beginning to swing in the other direction. Science came out of astrology. Before there was any science, the only thing there was was astrology, apart from religion. Science came out of astrology and must return to it. Though modern astrologers gratefully recognize the value of scientific methodology and are happy to use computers and highly accurate tables of planetary movements without which we should not be able to do our charts. So we are grateful to them for that. Scientists themselves are dissatisfied with their own reductionist theories of molecules, atoms, nuclei, of, of um, going from a big thing to a small thing and to a smaller thing, trying to get to the bottom of it. They themselves are not at all happy about their own methods at the moment because they feel they've got about as far as they could and haven't really got anywhere and, any, uh, and they are gradually coming round considering the reverse process of the bigger giving birth to the smaller and if you go in the reverse direction you do in the end come back to the, to the heavenly bodies and this is where astrology was, I mean, before they uh, left it. I, uh, I was amazed recently to find that the metal market in London has always used planetary symbols for the metals. They sit around in a big hall in London uh, doing um, their uh, stocks and shares or whatever they're doing in, in metals. And instead of the word gold or silver or whatever going up on the wall around them, you get this symbol. I, I didn't know this until recently. For example, copper is Venus. Sun is gold, you see. So, so the symbol for dealing in gold, you'll see a great sun guy. And for dealing in silver, you'll see the moon guy. And this dates from the time when astrology really was in, in this country. So, if you want to know the rest of them, uh, the sun is gold, the moon is silver, uh, Mercury, of course, is Mercury. Uh, Venus is copper. Um, Mars is iron or steel. Jupiter is tin. And Saturn is lead. And there are these three new planets, in inverted commas, of course, but uh, I don't think they've got a, a metal. Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. You, like most people today, probably associate astrology and horoscopes solely with people, but they are applicable to uh, the whole of nature. I mean, you can associate the herbs in the field. There's a chap called Nicholas Culpepper, I'm sure you've heard of him, because of the Culpepper, her Culpepper Herbal Shops of today. And he was a great astrologer. He was also a philanthropist. But he uh, allocated uh, the, the signs of the zodiac and the planets to all the herbs of the field. And he used them to, uh, to cure 
people, mainly in the East End of London, where he treated them freely. As a single example, the horoscope of the launching of the liner Titanic, the launching of a ship, anything that has a beginning, I mean, well, everything has a beginning, but any, any event that, that, that you know the beginning of it, and you can put up a chart for the beginning of that thing, this is perfectly valid for astrology. So don't think of astrology purely as for people, but although that's its main idea, of course, that we all hopefully want to understand ourselves uh, better than we have done before, and also for relationships between people. And, and the chart, of course, for the Titanic shows all the signs <coughs> of the disaster that overtook it on its maiden voyage. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, declared any doctor treating patients without astrology is a fool. I have said that to my local GP, but I don't think he really liked it very much. But it's still as valid today as it was then. Uh, after all, when you think of it, Aries is the head and Taurus is the neck and so on, right down to Pisces, the feet. And, and this is really the basis of of medicine taken from your chart because you use your chart and you can see what's happened in your chart then you can see even, even just after a baby has been born you can see the sort of trends that's not to say that something definite is going to happen but you can see predispositions towards certain uh, diseases and, and so on in, in a birth chart and in fact, medical astrology is one of the most important branches of astrology. I don't know whether you're conversing with the twelve cell sorts. Some of you are. They're only in, uh, today they're in the health stores. So there are masses of health stores, and you can see the um, the different cell sorts, and you can find out from your chart which of these sorts you should be taking in order to. <coughs> become more healthy, I suppose is the right way of putting it. The weather is at heart astrological, as are earthquakes. Now, earthquakes are very definitely tied up with planetary uh, stresses and strains. Sowing and planting by the moon is a sane idea conforming with nature in an orderly manner. There is a time for sowing, there is a time for reaping. And there are times which are not good times, we say. There are several books on this subject. But it, it, again, it all comes back to astrology. It all comes back to uh, the moon, mainly. The moon in different signs of the zodiac. I um, suggested this to my brother-in-law, who, who, who is a prosperous farmer. He always has a good laugh with what I say, but he doesn't believe a word of it. But uh, one day perhaps we may come down to it. Music and poetry are essentially Neptunian. Well, we'll come on to that a bit later on, I think. One can only hope that as life becomes more and more disorderly and disruptive, we shall come to observe that there is an order, harmony, and rhythm in the whole of nature, similar to the order and harmony in the heavens, and act accordingly. Who can go and gaze for long on a clear night sky, at a clear night sky, without being filled with awe and wonder? I know nothing personally 
more awesome than looking up into what they will be infinity. So should it be when we contemplate nature and human nature. John Eddy, a famous modern English astrologer whom I had the privilege of knowing, wrote, For most of us, people and their relationships are of paramount importance. Well, obviously they are. We're all of us much more interested, really, in people than we are in things, I'm sure. Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, wrote, Who or what is born at a moment of time carries with it the meaning of that moment of time. Time has meaning. And that's something that's essentially astrological. Time has meaning. And um, as, as, as examples, perhaps I could just mention two examples. One, one is my own. Uh, um, some years ago, I met the secretary of the CFPSS Farland branch down in, in Chichester, he was, and he heard I was an astrologer. He said, oh, I've got an astrological lady coming to stay with us in, in a month's time. Um, do come along and meet her. And so I duly went along in the evening and met her. We had a good chat. Then she said, you know, I've got a very uh, difficult chart, you know, I've got the Sun and Jupiter and Mercury and Venus all in Capricorn, opposed to the Mars and the Moon, the Neptune in Cancer, it's very difficult. Well, I pricked up my ears very much at this, because that's exactly what I've got. And <laughs> so she went on and said the rest of her chart, and I realized that uh, her chart and my chart uh, were the same thing. And it transpired that we were both born on the same day of the same year, uh, within a few hours of each other. She was born in Leningrad, I was born in Dorset, and yet here we were in Farnham discussing, ardently discussing one subject, astrology. We had both been born at a moment of time, or at a day in the time, uh, which was essentially astrological. And it doesn't matter where she came from, or who she was, her consciousness of life very much contained what my consciousness of life contained. And it, it was really quite something to, to realize that we were astrological twins, and we have kept up with each other ever since then. As, as well. We compare notes, you see, as to how our lives are proceeding. Then there's another story about... Um, George III, and an ironmonger called um, Samuel Hennings, and these two, it was known, were born within minutes of each other. Well, when um, George came to the throne, Samuel Hennings opened his ironmongery shop, and they both had the, the same uh, diseases or illnesses, Within a, within a few days of each other and they were both married uh, in the same week and they both died within a very short distance of each other and what I'm really saying to you is if we went into all this each one of us and it would be a very interesting study to unearth other people who were born on the same day as ourselves I think you'd all be very surprised to find how similar these people had been to yourselves. 
So, uh, I, at any rate, I hope you can see that what I'm telling you about astrology is vastly different from what you'll read in the Daily Mirror or whatever uh, tomorrow. I hope, you know. Well, that's the sort of background uh, to, to the subject. And um, now I want to tell you what is astrology? I mean, how does it work? Astro Logos, the wisdom of the stars. It's got an enormous history. One could spend the next hour sort of talking about its, about its history. It's about the oldest subject that ever was. Coming back now to the, to the meanings of astrology. What, what is it all about? Well, categories, first of all. We have the planets, the solar system. Astrology is dealing entirely, really. No, that's not true. It's not dealing entirely, but very, very largely with the solar system. Now, what is the solar system? The sun, which is a star, and is the only star. So, when you say, what do the stars say today? That's not right, because there is only one star. Let's get that clear. The, the only star in the solar system is the sun around which all the other planets including ourselves are orbiting we have the sun and the moon Mercury, Venus, Mars Jupiter, Saturn Uranus, Neptune and Pluto and of course the last three had to wait for telescopes to be invented because they are so far out and it wasn't until 1781 that Uranus was discovered and 1847 was Neptune and it wasn't until in fact 1930 that uh, Pluto was discovered. Now what, what do these planets mean? And what are the first seven of them meant for thousands and thousands of years? Well the Sun as you can imagine is an extremely uh, important, being the only star is an extreme is is the most important of all, and inasmuch as it is the most important of all, naturally the the, the newspapers are right because they are dealing with sun astrology. As you know, they're taking everybody who's born on say August the second, and they're saying they're all exactly the same uh, because they have the sun in Leo. Uh, every year we have a solar year and every year the sun is in the same degree or almost exactly the same degree in minute and second of a, of a particular sign. So it's a nice easy thing to latch on to and this is what they do. And so they can say that um, uh, on August the 2nd the sun every year is in Leo and they give the impression in fact they believe it themselves I think because half of the people who write this nonsense are not astrologers at all no, no self-respecting astrologer would dream of writing all the rubbish that goes into the papers uh, and they infer that if you line up a thousand people all born on August the 2nd of the same year they'd all be exactly the same and of course we all know nothing was thought they're all very different because it isn't only the day month, year it is the time we are born time time has meaning and time the time of birth is extremely important 
And this is where astrologers in England, at any rate, in, yes, in England, run up against considerable difficulties. In Scotland, they register the time of birth on your birth certificate. Fine, you can just refer to your birth certificate. But nine times out of ten, no, perhaps not as often as that, 50-50 perhaps, you go to somebody and say, well, I must know what time you're born. Oh, I don't know what time I was born. So you say, well, will you ask your mum what time you were born? And so they go away and they come back with some time or other and you work it out and you think, oh no, that's never right. <laughs> and uh, so then you have to go back and needle them and get them to start all over again. Uh, so this question of getting accurate time is, is a very important, very necessary. We're talking about the planets. And these are the most, this is the most important category, you might say, is the, is the planets. The sun, the moon, and eight planets. Now the moon is, is uh, more the emotional. Incidentally, the sun is masculine in a chart. These are birth charts or horoscopes, right? And the sun is always masculine, refers back to a father, and the moon is the feminine. The moon is your mother to begin with, and then women in general. Right? But then we have Mercury. Now Mercury, which is the planet nearest to the sun, and I'm working out from the sun outwards. Mercury is the planet of communication. Communication. If somebody has a strong Mercury, like they want to talk, to communicate. So Mercury is the planet of communication. It also has a lot to do with health. Um, the staff of Hermes. Hermes is another word for Mercury. Um, from t way back, I mean, the, the, the staff of Mercury is a, is a symbol of medicine, isn't it? Doctrine. So health. And then we have Venus, which is the planet of love, uh, affection, and relationship. And then we go to Mars, and Mars, as I've already said, is the planet of energy. These are principles, and they are principles that work in different patterns in each one of us. They are working in each one of us. So Mars is the principle of energy. And if it's what we might call a difficult Mars, that energy might turn into aggression and warfare, even personally speaking. So uh, Mars, Mars, uh, iron, steel, energy, aggression, warfare. Jupiter, Jupiter is the planet of expansion. Jupiter was always known to the ancients as the greater benefic the greater benefit. Uh, uh, we've had Mars. Well, Mars was always known as the less malefic. And Venus is the less benefic. So Jupiter is the greater benefic and Venus the lesser benefic. They were always supposed by the ancients to give one pleasant things, happy things, expensive experiences of one sort or another. The opposite, the opposite of Venus is Mars. The opposite of Jupiter 
is Saturn. And Saturn was known as the greater malefic or bearer of evil. Today we don't think in these terms at all, but it, you know, I think it's interesting to look back always, I do anyway, um, and see what our forebears thought about these things. The idea of it being malefic is not true, but it is a planet of restriction. It is the opposite of expansion. Jupiter expansion, Saturn restriction. It is also true to say that Saturn is hard, is cold, uh, is melancholic, um, is depressing at times, inhibiting, and adjectives of that sort are, are applicable to, to Saturn. And then Saturn was the, the limit of the planets that can be seen with the naked eye. And therefore until the telescopes were built, as I said, um, you, you couldn't get to the other three. But then, now we have Uranus, and Uranus is a fantastic, is a fantastic planet. It seems to have something of everything almost. But it, its uh, action is almost the reverse of Saturn. Saturn likes safety and uh, and going along in in in, uh, in well-tried channels, whereas Uranus is the planet of the inventor, the planet that likes to be disruptive, sudden, and go uh, tangentially a different direction. This can be very upsetting indeed. I think I I might say that if you have if you are unfortunate enough to have Uranus in your seventh house of marriage, Uranus is the biggest breaker upper that there is. So, um, astrologically speaking, certain things are easy for relationships and certain things are very difficult. But, as I've already said, the soul can turn both ways. The soul is not just to be pushed around by, by the planets. But it does mean going through, probably going through mills of one sort and another, of suffering. Anyway, I'll come on to individual things in a minute. Uh, then we had ne uh, the next planet was Neptune. Now, Uranus and Neptune, in their astrological meaning, are totally, totally different. Uranus, as I said, is sudden. Uranus likes responsibility. And um, Neptune does not. Neptune is everything that is subtle, cannot be, uh, that cannot be contained like clouds. Neptune, of course, the sea and the waves of the sea. Uh, you can have that at one level of meaning. Uh, Neptune deludes people, if I may say so. Uh, it is also idealistic. It also has a great deal to do with music. You will find that, that highly uh, musical people and composers have a very strong Neptune, as we would say, in their birth charts. But it has everything to do with the, with the, with the immaterial. Do not ever expect anything, any material to a, a success to come from Neptune in your chart. It has to do with, and of course some people, some astrologers have said, oh Neptune's terrible. 
Well, Neptune isn't terrible at all. Neptune is uh, extremely uh, good and useful. Uh, musically, poetically, spiritually, mystically, uh, even psychically, uh, Neptune is very much the planet. So it's Neptune, and uh, lastly we have Pluto, this extraordinary planet, which is very small and very far away, and has a very extraordinary orbit. But we know enough about it now to know that it is connected with things that are going on in our unconscious, in the depths. If you remember, Pluto was the god of the underworld. It is very interesting, I always think, that, that we've gone back to these Greek words like Uranus, Uranus, and Neptune, and Pluto, which were their gods for these modern planets. And indeed, the, the meanings that we found they had uh, do coincide very markedly with, with the old Greek uh, meanings of what the gods meant. So that's the first class, very, very big class. I mean, there's masses more that could be said about all these things. One is only on the fringe. Right, the second category, first category of the planets, they are the principles, the energies. Right. But they are each modified by the signs of the zodiac which they happen to be at a particular time or at a particular birth. There are twelve signs of the zodiac, I'm sure you all know that, I don't really, I'm sure I have to tell you that. Twelve signs of the zodiac. And they are Aries the Ram, Taurus the Bull, Gemini the Twins, Cancer the Cram, Leo the Lion, Virgo the Virgin, Libra the Scales, Scorpio the Scorpion, Sagittarius the Archer, Capricorn the Goat, Aquarius the Water Bearer, and Pisces the Fishes. Now what do they all mean? And, uh, right, now it's a circle, and therefore literally there is no beginning and no end, is there, to a circle. But from time immemorial, we've always considered the first point of Aries, or north degrees of Aries, to be the beginning of the zodiac circle. And it refers to what we call the ecliptic. The ecliptic is the path of the earth around the sun, or the apparent path of the sun around the earth. That is the ecliptic. And it's called, um, well, rather, eclipses occur and can only occur when the sun, the moon and the earth are on or very close to the ecliptic. They cannot occur at any other time or place. So the signs of the zodiac are parts of the heavens, parts of the sky around this circle of the ecliptic. Uh, now, we'll start with Aries the Ram. Now, each sign of the zodiac has a ruler, a ruling planet. That's to say, there is a planet that is very close in its nature to the nature of the sign. I'll give you this example then. Beginning the first, uh, the first sign, Aries the Ram. It's just a ram's horn, as you may know. The symbol is a ram's horn. There it is, there up on the left. Uh, the ram's horns. And its ruler, ruling planet, is Mars. Mars energy. 
Now the twelfth sign of the zodiac is really primitive energy. Just energy. Boom. Bam. Energy. Energy that can be used in a variety of ways, but nevertheless just energy. So Aries is the first sign of the zodiac ruled by Mars and is full of energy. They are pioneers very often. In spite of that, what you might call the primitive meaning, they are one of the three leaders in the zodiacal signs. There are three main ones. Aries, which is the pioneer, energetic. Leo, the lion, as you can imagine, the king of beasts being the leader. And the third one is Capricorn, which leads by by tact and uh, ambition, etc., etc., but not in the way the other two. So, so you've got three different forms of leadership, but these three signs are well known as leaders. Aries, Leo, uh, Capricorn. Now, then I've told you there's a ruler for each one. I'll tell you what the other rulers are as we get to them, when we get around. So I want to introduce you to two other ideas in, in connection with the zodiac. That each sign, and this, these ideas come from way back, they're traditional, thousands of years old. Where did they come from? I believe they came from divine inspiration originally. So, we have fire, earth, air, and water. Fire, earth, air, and water. Four categories into which the signs are divided. Fire is, uh, and, and, and fire and air are said to be positive, that's to say they, are, they lead to extroversion in a person, and um, earth and water are introverted, and they, if you find a very introverted person, then that person probably has a lot of planets in the negative signs. So then um, the other the other category is cardinal fixed. Oh wait, I don't tell you fire. Fire is inspirational and goes outwards. It is emotional in in a positive and outgoing way. Earth is what you might understand from earth. It is practical to be down to earth. Very practical people are your earthy people. They like making things. So, Taurus, the next one, is fixed earth. We haven't come on to the fixed part. But, fire and earth, so they go, and this makes twelve, as you can see, fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water. Is that three or four? No, it should be, four. It should be three. Should be three times four is twelve. So that is how they go, and it's all very logical. You can go around the, around the circle, starting off with Aries, fire, earth, air, water, around to Pisces, which is which is water. The fixed people are the organisers, the administrators, and the mu the mutable people are the teachers and uh, promulgators of ideas. So there you have another category. Cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Fire, earth, air, water, cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And none of these, going around the circle, not two of them are the same. So now I'll take them in order and go around them. 
So Aries, we've said it's fire, we've said it's ruled by Mars. Aries is cardinal fire. So they're the two categories brought together, right? Cardinal fire. They are doers, certainly they are. But they are also extroverts. Going on to the next one, we have Taurus, which is a bull's horns as a symbol, very simple. So the bull, and the ruler of the bull is Venus. And the bull is fixed earth. So we have cardinal fire, fixed earth, right? Then we go on to the third sign. Uh, I mean, I could tell you sets of things at those time, all about Aries, all about Taurus, etc., what they are. But basically, Aries is energy and is a leader. Taurus, Aries is a very quick sign. Taurus is a very slow sign. Ah, that leads on to another point. Adjacent signs are totally different. So that's very convenient. If, if you're trying to decide what, what, what time a person was born, or what sign, in fact, was on their ascendant, uh, you know that the signs on each side are going to be very different from the one uh, that you think they are. So you have a pretty good chance of being able to say this is right or that is, that is right or that is wrong or whatever. So, Aries, Taurus, Taurus fixed Earth. Now, uh, Gemini, the twins, and I call it Gemini because it's a rather hard sign. A lot of people call it Gemini, it doesn't matter. I call it Gemini. Uh, it's the first of the dual signs, dual signs, obviously the twins, a double idea. So we have the three dual signs, which are Gemini, Sagittarius, which is a centaur, which is half man, half human, and half animal. And the third one are the fishes, of course, which is obviously a dual sign. So those are the three dual signs. Anyway, Gemini, ruler Mercury, ruler Mercury, Mercury the planet of communication, I said, but also mentality, intellect, thought, these ideas. We started with very primitive ideas, and now we've come to Gemini the third sign, which is using its load, which admires cleverness which wants to get ahead intellectually. There is Gemini for you, and is another quick sign. So, so we have Taurus, the slow one, between the fast Aries and Gemini. That's to say, Aries and Gemini both act quickly. Taurus acts slowly. The whole of the farming community comes under Taurus. Taurus is the, the sign of farming. And... Um, Plowman homeward plods his weary way, etc. It is also, of course, the sign of money. Taurus of, of banking and that sort of thing is Taurus. Your Taurian uh, likes to have something in the bank, likes to, um, is very much concerned very often with, with the material of life, with substance, as it's called. Right, well, we, we, we mustn't stop, it's no good. So, Gemini the twins. We're going on to the fourth sign of the zodiac now. Uh, incidentally, did I say mutable air is Gemini? Mutable. Mutable means changeable. 
doesn't it? From the Latin, mutable, changeable. So the mutable signs are adaptable, that's really what it's saying. And Gemini is the first of the mutable signs and it is an adaptable sign. Right, the fourth sign of the zodiac cancer the crab, which is we've now come on to we've had fire, earth, air, so water is the last one of the four, right? So cancer is and we've had cardinal, fixed and mutable, so in that line we've got to start again. So we start again with cardinal. So cancer is cardinal water, active but also emotional and introverted. It is the most feminine, the most indoor, the most uh, domesticated, the most family-loving of all the signs. I mean, where where Leo, um, there are no <coughs> there is no sign more prone to splitting up a marriage than Leo. I guarantee if you went to the divorce court you would find more Leos there than any other sign. And you would find least cancerians. Cancer is so concerned with the family. The family is all important to cancer and the home, of course. So the idea of disrupting the family is anathema to, to, to cancer. So, cardinal, cardinal water, and I may say at this point to mean we've reached water, the, the psychism, the, the psychic faculty is essentially a watery idea. Don't ask me why, it just is so, that, that your psychics usually have, not always have, but they usually have a large amount of water. Water generates psychic substance, whatever it may be. So the moon, and the moon is the ruler of cancer. The sun and the moon rule a sign of peace, whereas Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn rule two signs each. So now we come on to, um, we come on to Leo the lion, the ruler of the sun, We've had cardinal water, now we're coming on to fixed fire. I mean, it doesn't make much sense that it normally fixed fire. Well, how can fire be fixed? I mean, you, you mustn't take these things too literally. I mean, you must take them psychologically. The idea of fixed. Well, this is another point I might bring out. The ascendant, I haven't come on to that, but you have to calculate the point called the ascendant. It is the most important point in the chart is the ascendant. And, and the ascendant depends entirely on the time of birth. Time of birth. Well, what I was really trying to say was that if you have any of the fixed signs on the ascendant, it produces usually a stocky sort of body. So when I look around and I see a stocky type, I immediately think, ah, a fixed sign is on the ascendant of that person. It may be other things, there's so many things, but generally speaking that is, that is the case. So the fixed signs produce a stocky body on with and on the ascendant is what I'm trying to say. Leo, I've said, is a leading sign, it is the leader, and very appropriately it has the sun, that most important body, the sun. 
and of course Vieira people are genial and they are warm-hearted, magnanimous, generous, all the uh, things that you associate with uh, solar ideas, I think. So the, na- the sixth sign of the zodiac is Virgo the Virgin. Virgo the Virgin. Mutable Earth. Cardinal fixed, mutable. Cardinal fixed, mutable. Fire, Earth. Air, water, fire, Earth. Right? All very logical. So Virgo, the sixth sign, mutable Earth. Now then, uh, one thing about Virgo is that it, it is a, essentially a teaching sign. I did say that originally the mutable signs were the teachers. Right? So the three teachers of the zodiac, three main teachers, are Virgo, Sagittarius, and Gemini the twins. The two mercurial signs, Gemini is ruled by Mercury, Virgo is ruled by Mercury. Gemini is said to be the positive sign of Mercury, the Virgo is said to be the negative sign of Mercury, right? And the signs go plus, minus, plus, minus, plus, minus, right the way around. So, the Virgo, now, Leo likes to lead, Virgo does not like leading in this world at all, shies away from leadership. Virgo is quite content, usually, to, um, to, in the background. It is also, as you'd imagine from the word the virgin, it is a self-sufficient sign. That's what I'm really trying to think of. They are self-sufficient to a marked degree are, are Virgo, strongly Virgo people. Uh, and therefore sometimes they do not marry. I think there are more Virgos that don't marry than any other sign, for example. The next one is, is Libra, the scales, you can see it looks like a balance, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, it's a positive sign of Venus. The new, uh, Libran people are easily the best looking of the zodiac, with regular features, wavy hair, wavy hair, uh, dimples, all things like that are, are very liberal indeed. Venus, you see, Venus means beauty and therefore you get this particularly in the Bible scales. It is the sign for marriage. Now, Leo is a very warm-hearted, generous, uh, likes the other sex uh, sign, but hates operating within uh, the boundary of marriage. Leo likes to love and to love and to love, whereas Libra is the best of all adaptable, shall we say, to the marital idea. They love sharing their lives with other people. It is in many ways the most fortunate sign of the twelve. At any rate, from this point of view. So, Libra is, uh, is well known as a good-looking sign, and I would think on the whole that the, the Libra women, at any rate, are much sought after from, from, from marital purposes because they like sharing, they hate rows, they hate ugliness, they have very definite virtues, particularly when it comes to the idea of marriage. So, Libra is cardinal, cardinal air. On the other hand, I must just say that if you have Libra on your ascendant, Libra can never, or never, it, it, it finds it very difficult to make up its mind, sees things from many different directions, 
and find it very hard to make decisions. So it is not a decision maker. It is dependent, but from a marital point of view, for a liberal women, woman, presumably that is a, a, a plus, a plus point. Uh, right, Libra. We come on to the eighth sign, which is Scorpio. Here you have a good example of Scorpio. Scorpio on his ascendant, but lots of planets in Gemini. So do not be surprised. <laughs> he is hither and thither and all over the place. Scorpio, the eighth sign of the zodiac. Now. The thing, one of the main things about Scorpio is, is that it has two symbols. It's the only sign of the zodiac with two symbols. It is the scorpion, obviously, but it is also the eagle. The eagle. So an evolved, a really evolved Scorpio, I'm not looking at Jonathan, of course, a really <laughs> has the eagle as the symbol. You graduate in Scorpio, in the, yes, in the sign of Scorpio, from a scorpion to an eagle. Uh, it is fixed water. Again, it has certain psychic qualities. It is very magnetic. It is very, very tough. And it is very, very purposeful. Toughness and purposefulness are two major characteristics of Scorpio. You very, very rarely find a wastrel under Scorpio. Whereas under Pisces, you are apt to find that it's going to waste a bit. But Scorpio has so much purpose and so much toughness, it can really take it. The ninth sign of the zodiac is Sagittarius the Archer. Sagittarius the Archer, which is mutable fire, mutable fire. Ruler Jupiter, the, uh, the planet of expansion, of optimism, and really the faults of Sagittarius are the faults of an over-optimistic sort of person, full of bonhomie and uh, joyfulness and so on, uh, but uh, not purposeful enough. You see, it's next door to, Scorp to the purposeful Scorpio, and therefore you cannot say that Sagittarius is at all purposeful, really. But he's full of ideas. Shoots his arrows all over the place. Uh, doesn't always follow them up, but he's full of ideas, and that's an important thing in itself. So he is one of the teaching uh, signs. He's really nobody's enemy but his own. It is a genial sign. It is a travelling sign. It is an exploring sign. It hates to be tied down. Sagittarians very often marry late because they cannot bear the idea of losing their freedom. Freedom for Sagittarius is absolutely vital. Without freedom, life isn't worth living. And by freedom, I mean personal freedom to go whither they will and do what they will, etc. Uh, but uh, there isn't any physical travelling. We can talk about mental travelling. We can talk about philosophy. And it is a sign particularly of religion and religious thought, uh, because long-distance thinking, you might say, is a religious thinking, spiritual thinking. Whereas Gemini, the twins, the opposite, uh, is concerned with facts and figures and logic and that sort of thinking. They're very important, both of them, but totally different. One's a deductive thinking and the other's an inductive thinking. So, 
there at Sagittarius, the ninth sign, mutable fire, said to be an awful bore. I mean, love to have ideas, and the ideas change, but while the ideas are on, he spouts them forth whether people want to hear them or not. You're listening to one now, so you know what I mean. Let's go on to the tenth sign of, of Capricorn, Capricorn the gate. No ordinary gate, I may say. A very special sort of a gate. It's known as a sea goat. Now, what on earth is a sea goat? I don't know. But that, that is rather like a fish's tail on the back end of it. It is cardinal earth. One of the leading signs of the zodiac again. Cardinal earth. And being earth, it's negative, minus. That means to say it is introvert. It is shy. That's another word for introversion, I suppose. A ruler is Saturn. Saturn is concerned with duty, responsibility, work, career, all that sort of thing is very important to Capricorn. Whereas Jupiter and, and Sag don't really care an awful lot. They want to talk, they want to be amiable, they want to be optimistic, they want to travel, but they're not particularly concerned with being somebody or having a, having a career and that sort of thing, which Capricorn very much is concerned with. It was also particularly the sign of government. It stands for government, the government of any country. is a Capricornian idea. And it is said to be tactful, but it is undoubtedly ambitious, and ambition is not altogether a good thing. It does make you work. Right, the eleventh sign of the zodiac. The eleventh sign of the zodiac is Aquarius, which is fixed air. Fixed air. Don't forget, air means mind. Air means theoretical ideas, intellect. We are said to be entering the Aquarian age, as no doubt you know. Now, the modern ruler of Aquarius is Uranus. This idea that I was talking about is full of disruption as well as invention and there are a lot of astrologers who believe that we have already entered the Aquarian age because they, they look around and see so much invention and so much disruption. However, the, the traditional planet is Saturn so most astrologers and certainly myself deal with both the planets in connection with Aquarius, which is not easy because the meaning of those two planets is very different. Nevertheless, uh, that's what happened. So that's the eleventh sign of the And Aquarius is very much concerned with people, with humanity, with psychology, with what makes people tick. And therefore, a great number of astrologers have a big Aquarian component in their, in their chart. That is the, the, the big thing that sort of draws them on to do astrology is learning about people and trying to help people to, uh, to see themselves in, in more clearly as to what they really are, what their potential is themselves. And lastly now we come to the twelfth time of the zodiac which is the fishes. Uh, two fishes back to back is the symbol and the traditional ruler is Jupiter and um, the new modern ruler is Neptune 
Well, I missed out Pluto, of course, for Scorpio. Pluto is the modern ruler for Scorpio. Uh, Neptune is the modern ruler for the fishes. We have just had 2,000 years of a Piscean age. Christ was known as Ichthus, the fish, the symbol for early Christians, which they put on their doors and at times of persecution was a fish. There is a modern fish society which uh, does Christian works and so on. You have the, the parable of the, um, yes, the loaves and the fishes and um, there are a number of things connected with fishes in the gospel story. It is an emotional idea it is a water idea, and I told you all about water, so it is mutable water. And your typical Piscean is somebody who does not enjoy the hard facts of daily living, you know, the facts and figures and logic of life, but is, not, I won't say uh, wanting to exactly, but who finds very often has to uh, escape into some other realm uh, in order to make life bearable. So Pisces is a sign, it is the twelfth sign, and being the last sign you might say it is in a sense the more evolved sign, but that doesn't hold together altogether. I mean we said that Aries was the, the most primitive sign, so we must say that Pisces is the least primitive sign. And it is a, a, essentially an emotional and a poetic idea, is Pisces. So, the, there we have the, the twelve signs of the zodiac. You see these segments of the circle, this is the other thing, I told you there were three things. We've had the planets, we've had the zodiac. Now the third thing, that was very important, is these segments of the circle. Twelve segments, and each segment represents a department of life. And the first one, you see they're numbered. We talk about the first house, the second house, and so on. Now the first house is concerned and with Arietic ideas. So the sign, the essential sign on the ascendant is Aries, and the whole of the first house is concerned with Arietic ideas, with the person. The second house is concerned with money and finance. The third house is concerned with um, short journeys, facts and figures, has a lot to do with the factual mind, logical mind. The fourth house has to do with, uh, is essentially the house of cancer, to do with the family, with home, the domestic idea. And the fifth house has to do with, uh, with um, uh, love affairs, creativity and children. The sixth house has to do with service given and received and also a lot to do with health. The seventh house is essentially the house of partnership and marriage. The eighth house has the eighth house is, is uh, to do with hidden things after death states and so on. Can I say something? Yeah, he's got about five or six planets in the eighth house, right? He's very interested indeed, as I dare say some of you know, in after death ideas with death and what it means and what happens to us after death. 
with the subject perhaps like um, reincarnation then yes deeply hidden things the title of the last talk here yeah, was in fact life after death oh yes so it was yes I can imagine who picked that title <laughs> <laughs> uh, now the ninth house is to do with long distance travel not only physically mentally even spiritually religiously speaking right now the tenth house is to do with career work uh, government uh, the eleventh the house is to do with friendships and get togethers like this this is a sort of Aquarian meeting you might say and committee meetings of all sorts where pe people get together that, that is the, the eleventh house and finally the twelfth house is a very difficult house in many ways uh, it's said in textbooks to do with uh, prisons, hospitals, etc., etc. I, I think that's narrowing it down too much. And I tell students that prayers in the 12th are very important because it is a house of regeneration. That you, you, you really have to suffer a lot with 12th house. But you are in the process of changing from, so to speak, a caterpillar into a butterfly. There is a transmutation process which necessitates being enclosed like a cocoon in life and going through definite uh, suffering in order to come out again as a butterfly or moth. So you have the three ideas, the planets are the principles, the energies, the signs modify the meanings of the planets, the signs are portions of the heavens round the ecliptic, and, and thirdly you have the twelve houses of the horoscope, which are the department of life here on earth. Right, well thank you very much, I don't think I can... Uh, I think, I think coffee calls. <laughs>